Hey, I'm Taylor Dorson, and this is the Professional Technical Interviewee. Technical interviews are hard, and every company does them differently. On this show, I interview engineering leaders to see what they look for in technical candidates, and then they perform a real technical interview with me. I hope you enjoy. Cool. Great. Uh, well, Ross, welcome to the show. Uh, how are you? Happy Friday. Yeah, doing good. Uh, happy Friday to yourself. Thank you. Uh, the guest today is Ross Bell, currently an engineering manager at Elastic, uh, based out of Chicago here. And Previously, you were senior engineer man- manager, VP of engineering, CTO, founder of a whole bunch of uh, companies in the Chicagoland area over the last handful of years. Um, did I miss anything there? Anything else you want to mention? No, only that uh, I'm, lo- I'm located in Chicago, as are a number of folks at Elastic, but Elastic itself is globally distributed. We like to Think of it as remote native, um, or I think that's I think that's the buzzword of the day. Yeah, <laughs> I love it. Can you share a little bit about Elastic and, and kind of what your team does there? Yeah, absolutely. Most folks probably know of Elastic as the, the stewards and maintainers of Elasticsearch, uh, search database technology that um, I would say most technology platforms either use Elasticsearch or something very similar to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, the team I get to work with at Elastic, uh, I think we're technically the enterprise search team, but we deal with search experiences, um, a search bar at the top of your website uh, or in your mobile app, and also ingestion. And so when you want to search across data, it, that data isn't just magically in your uh, Elasticsearch data store. How'd you get it there? And whether it's coming from uh, uh, your Postgres database or your, your MongoDB data store, or maybe it's internal search for your company and you want to expose search across all your GitHub issues and all your Jira tickets and stuff like that. Uh, the ingestion team within Enterprise Search uh, builds all the tooling to help you get data into Elasticsearch. Nice. That's cool. That's a piece of it I haven't even thought of. That That's probably... Um... A lot of work and, and probably really interesting depending on the client, right? You have to go in and be like, okay, what do you even have? And then how do we help you get this into a searchable space, right? And in addition to that, um, kind of having to you know fake it till you make it as experts and mm-hmm. rel- uh, uh, every possible data source that comes along. Um, I wish I knew more about SharePoint Online because a lot of people want to get their SharePoint Online data into Elasticsearch. And Azure is a big ecosystem, and it, it's I could never possibly know enough to to be an expert there. That, that's that's something. If if you want to uh, come work with the team and you know a lot about SharePoint Online, ooh, get in get in touch. <laughs> I love it. Uh, cool. Can you share a little about your pathway into technology? Did you go the traditional computer science route or some other route, or what's that look like? Yeah, yeah, nothing too unique there. I was a, a computer science undergrad uh, in in, in um, Nebraska. Um, I think what might be unique there was that I had some awesome comp sci programs available to me in high school, and so mm. I was I was writing Visual Basic in my sophomore year of high school, which I, I've now learned, you know, for my era was kind of unique. Um, I think the other. Uh, thing I got to take advantage of was I went to University of Nebraska at Omaha. Uh, most people know about Nebraska at Lincoln uh, for football, but um, at the time, Omaha was considered a commuter school, um, mm-hmm. kind of, you know, in, in a negative light. But that meant I got to have year-round internships uh, every year, which was amazing. When I graduated college, I got to go out to ins- pr- prospective employers and say, hey, I've had 
it's not a full-time job, but I've had three solid years of internships at this point. I know how to write SQL. I know my way around at the time. The, the editor I was using was Eclipse. Um, that I, I, did, I realized was unique compared to other graduates of the time. Um, and then from there, uh, uh, yeah, it was just a full-time job, uh, you know, one after another in my 20s. And um, I suppose the other unique thing about Omaha is there's a lot of Department of Defense contracting companies out there. Interesting. And so um, there are a lot of software engineering opportunities out in Omaha, uh, more than you'd expect given the, you know, the metro area and what people think Omaha might be like. Yeah, yeah, it's really interesting. I, I love the um, kind of being able to intern year round. The, the first company I worked at, um, we had a number of, we call them interns, but essentially they were engineers who worked for us full time, but just when it was the school year, they worked, you know, part time, right? They do 10, mm -hmm. 10 hours a week or something. But during the summers, they basically work full time with us. And those engineers knew the code base far better than I did when I, you know, I'd been there six months and I was like, how do you know so much? Because I've been here three years. Right? It's just yeah. kind of my schedule fluctuates. And I think they had a huge leg up um, when they started to actually, you know, when they, they look for a lot of them stayed um, at that company um, once they graduated. But then even if they look for a job afterwards, it looked a little weird on the resume because it's kind of like this extended internship. But I think basically they came in as like a, a very skilled early career engineer or like a mid-level engineer right away, right, right out of school, which I think was really helpful helpful and not necessarily something a lot of people think of um if you think like oh i get an internship for six months and then or three months and it looks good exactly resume, right i mean the yeah the the typical three month uh summer internship you've just got it you've just gotten started and it's totally. time to pack your stuff and go back to school yeah. um as a prospective employer when i see folks who graduate school and i can tell they've dealt with real uh, software engineering project problems, you know, it's the stuff that isn't that exciting, but they worked through it. That's uh, very valuable from my perspective. Well, and has worked with the team with like whatever, there's just something to be said for like the software you have to use, you know, to work within a team, whatever it's Jira or, or GitHub, um, Zenhub, whatever it is, like just knowing that stuff gives you a leg up, right? Of like, oh, you know how to manage like work with tickets, right? Versus like, oh, here's a task, do it and come back to me when you're done, right? It's a whole different yeah. world. Yeah, and, and to understand the value of um, uh, frequent updates to a ticket, you know, that, that's something that's obvious in hindsight, but it takes a while for folks to get used to. Yeah, totally. Well, can you share a little bit about how you ended up in this, this current role at Elastic? Yeah, so take yourself back to, uh, I wanna say June of 2020. Weird time for the world, um, you know, the, Pandemic had been around for a few months by then, and uh, I think folks still weren't quite sure where the world was headed. Um, mm -hmm. Anyways, all, all this to be said, uh, I, interestingly, I think uh, that moment in time, you know, we were trying to figure out our pathway to owning a house and trying to figure out what what a family meant to us mm -hmm. uh kind of kind of existential lifelong uh, uh questions like that and so um i decided you know what it, it's time for me to go be a, a senior software engineer at elastic um i had uh, spoken with the team um about a year prior to then and i i love the people i got to meet um the the opportunity just didn't work out at the time mm -hmm. but in June of 2020, I thought I need to I need to kind of ease off the gas uh, in in my own career, uh, get back into just writing code, and it was an 
Um, awesome opportunity. I, I was uh, apprehensive at first about going to a fully distributed company where there would be no office uh, where all of my coworkers worked in, but it was June 2020. We were all working from home. Sure. And, uh, you know, I, I always joke with folks that the, the best compensation to stress ratio job in the entire world is senior software engineer. You, you cannot get any better than that. Sure. Uh, if, if you're trying to optimize for, for comp and stress. Um, so it was the right time uh, for that era of my life. And then since then, I've uh, moved back into the hot seat of um, uh, managing teams and, and dealing with uh, the problems that are contained in there. What's the the Goodfellas line? Like I keep trying to get out, but they drag me back in. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah, and and we were talking before we started, right? At one point, we worked in the same WeWork. I mean, that was when you were at a company that you had helped found. So you you went from kind of this co-founder role, which you know I'm sure doing a lot of different things and maybe writing some code when you could, right? Versus, versus like going, okay, well, I want to go into this individual contributor role and at a, you know, elastic kind of fang, fang adjacent um, type company, right? That That's um, very well known. And I'm assuming um, very different type of compensation structure than if you're, you're you know, helping found a company. So that, that's really an interesting kind of shift. Yeah, absolutely. It's, uh, I, I was writing a lot of code at that startup. Uh, it, it, but you're right. I, I, some days I was chief architect of the startup and other days I was sales associate. You know, it's a very different vibe uh, going from a, a small a small startup to a, a, a company like Elastic. Yeah. Have you done interviews lately for your team? Yeah, yeah. We, um, you know, we frequently open new roles. Uh, and so when I first showed up at Elastic, I was generally participating in um, coding exercise interviews lately, it's been more uh, interviews where we might talk about project management or, um, you know, where, where I might be looking for a little more uh, behavioral assessment, um, less, uh, less coding skills, more working as a team skills. Got it. That was going to be my next question is what area or what part of the interview do you typically focus on? But it sounds like you've done both, but, but now more so on the, you know, let's figure out if you're good fit for the team rather than let's figure out if you have the coding skills. Yeah, exactly. Um, although I, I can still go back and forth between either. Yeah. Great. What are you typically evaluating for when you're, maybe, maybe you can speak to both, both sides. Um, when you have someone in the technical interview or the behavioral, what are you typically looking to, to get out of that to see if they're a good fit? Yeah, we can start with technical. Um, I want to see that this person can write code, and they don't need to be, you know, the the uh, best programmer programmer I've ever seen. But I want to see how they tackle a problem that they may not have considered before. Um, in in a technical interview, I never want to like trick somebody or throw a riddle at them. I want to see them at their best. And so it turns out that that's really hard. And I, I tell folks that in a good technical interview, the interviewer might be more exhausted by the end of the interview than the interviewee. And, and that's because it's a lot of work to um, uh, really suss out that coding ability from a candidate hmm. um, spot when they're running into arbitrary roadblocks that really don't tell me anything about the candidate and help them move past that uh, and give them an opportunity to, to surface as much of their ability uh, to me as possible. On the behavioral side of things, uh, if I tried to boil it down, I'm not too interested in what it's like to work with somebody when everything's perfect. 
I'm more interested in what it's like to work with somebody when um, maybe requirements are vague or um, it's been a long running project with some stumbles to it. Um, if we want to ship a week from now and we just got a requirement change, how do they feel about that? They should feel stressed. Everybody should feel stressed about that. That's the normal way to feel. But what do you do with that stress? What, what do you what do you do uh, during that week? That's I'm trying to get a feel or, or just a, a small taste for, you know, how that person might be to work with when things aren't going perfectly. Yeah, that's really interesting. Are you, are you, how are you framing those questions? Is it basically saying, Hey, have you been in the situation in the past? And can you tell me about that? Or, and I'm assuming you're not, you know, simulating that on a call. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you're right. Um, I tend to go back and forth between tell me about a time when questions and then proposing a, a hypothetical situation and asking what the candidate might do. Um, I don't like to rely solely on tell me about a time questions because some folks it's up to what 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 have they encountered in the last six months of their life. Anything further back than six months, they're just not going to remember, and we're not going to have a very um, uh, useful conversation. Uh, so then, when I start to sense that, then we'll we'll talk through some hypotheticals, and uh, it's it's not as useful when you're talking about a, a real situation that has happened to them recently, but it's still gets at the right stuff. Yeah, that makes sense. And you mentioned um, in, in a technical interview, trying to be aware of the fact of, is this, if they're stuck, right? Is this some arbitrary issue that is basically not important to you versus like, you know, the actual crux of the problem or, or what you're actually looking to, to learn about them? How do you gauge that? Is that just, you know, okay, they clearly don't know the syntax, so let's just share that with them or, or you know, point them in the direction of that? Or, or what are you, I guess, what are you um, looking for to kind of tell the difference between those two? So I think that's a really yeah. interesting point. Yeah, you're right. It's, it's um, first off, I, I want to make sure they understand the question. And so I, I try to give them, you know, two, three, as many outs as they need to uh, ask, ask clarifying questions. Um, uh, if uh, that, that's certainly the most important uh, base part. And then, um, yeah, I, I just don't care if they're stumbling over something that I would have to Google myself. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it, I, I, um, I mean, I'm Googling things every day if I'm writing code. There's no, nobody knows how to do that stuff off the top of their head for eight hours straight. Um, and then I, if, if I can tell, um, I get stuck on technical problems all the time. And I, I might ask for somebody to rubber duck with me uh, or pair with me uh, in my editor. And so I'll, I'll look for those moments during a coding exercise where maybe I can provide that same um, um, little boost, little little amount of support, just to get us past something. We, if we spend thirty minutes just banging our head against the exact same problem, I didn't learn anything as an interviewer. And and the the sad truth is that if I learn nothing during an interview, my default decision has to be no hire, and, mm. and that's a bummer. It's a waste of everybody's time. I'd I'd love to have a a confident decision uh, by the end of the interview. Got it. That makes a lot of sense. Um, can you walk me through the interview process, kind of what the steps are for your team? Yeah, absolutely. And I'll try and keep it, you know, high level enough not to reveal anything. Folks will be upset with me for revealing. But um, uh, with Elastic, we have an awesome recruiting team we get to work with. Um, that's kind of new for me. I haven't generally worked with companies as large as Elastic is. So uh, I get to rely on resources like that. It's It's been great. Um, uh, so 
first step is usually you're, you're probably talking with a recruiter and that's just a, a general feel for um, could this possibly be a good fit or is the candidate just not interested in, in what we're looking to hire for. Uh, beyond that, we'll have some uh, technical coding exercises. Uh, we may um, tailor that to the, the role. You know, if it's a senior software engineer position, we might have two coding exercises for you because we have to know you can write solid, uh, uh, readable code. Um, if it's a more entry-level position, two coding exercises might not be the best use of everybody's time. And if it's a principal-level role or a tech lead-level role, yeah, we want to know you can write code, but we also want to know that you can help uh, others think about architectural problems. And so um, we also have uh, some some interviewing time dedicated towards uh, people would know of this more as like the whiteboarding problems, although it's generally going to be remote. So we're probably not using a whiteboard and we we um, change things up accordingly. Um, and then I, I had mentioned a lot of the. Uh, Shortly ago, I had mentioned behavioral interviews, and it's not—it's um, it, not as scary as that sounds. It, it's just, can I talk to this person and feel confident that they're going to be uh, a good team member? Uh, they're going to be somebody who I'm—I'm I'm glad they're on the team when we run into this blocking issue next week. Uh, stuff like that, and and that stuff um, does tend to feel much more conversational. But there's, you know, there there are, there are objective points to it all, and and we're not just doing it to waste time. Yeah. Great. And then after that, is it some type of offer? Or is there a final conversation or anything like that? Yeah. Um, every candidate's unique, but uh, ho hopefully we get to an offer. Um, it's it's uh, given, we'll have open roles. So we also want to make sure that, um, you know, we, we take time to speak with enough candidates to, um, uh, you know, we, we don't want to feel like we're just, we only spoke to one candidate. And well, they seem good enough. You know, we may, we may want to compare them to uh, a few more. Um, and all this being to say, uh, we may take our time to fill a role, uh, mm -hmm. depending on the need and the urgency. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. In the past, when you've been in technical interviews, doing them yourselves, um, how do you feel you've performed? Do you, do you like, oh, I smash everyone, or oh, I hate them, somewhere in between? Depends <laughs> on the interview. Yeah. Um, I like to think that I perform authentically, and that is to say, uh, um, if you interview me, you're going to have a pretty accurate idea of, of my ability and what it's like to work with me. Um, I think all of us, when we started interviewing for our adult careers, um, that's a funny phrase. Anyways, um, when we when we started interviewing for our, our post-education careers, um, we think we have to put on this uh this front you know this uh, we, we have to put on this this mask of professionalism and i think more often than not that just means uh, the the interview decisions that you get whether it's uh, an offer or rejection are just less accurate and so i i just try to put my real self out there um i in terms of how i do in the interviews uh um I've failed a lot of them. And I would say, if you're not failing a lot of your interviews, you're not aiming high enough. Mm. Uh, if you usually get an offer, you need to be interviewing for a, a position above what you've been applying for. Interesting. Um, yeah, yeah. I it's, like that mindset. Uh, yeah, get get rejected a, 
you should you should aim to get rejected often enough that it's no longer scary. Uh, it's yeah. gonna be painful. It's always painful. It feels like getting turned down romantically. You know, it's just like it hits you right in the heart. Uh, totally. But it's a good thing. It it's it's a necessity. Yeah, I, I play poker, and I will say I bluff a lot when I'm playing poker to the point where my friends are like, you bluff too much. And I always tell them, if you don't get caught bluffing once in a while, you're not bluffing enough, right? <laughs> you're uh, losing exactly. and you could be winning, right? The same idea. If you're not getting rejected, like you said, you're not setting your sights high enough, either interviewing with companies that have, you know, maybe less strenuous interviews, which often also means maybe lower compensation or maybe not as know, prestigious, maybe the wrong word, but that does tend to be like the harder the interview. A lot of times companies do tend to, to compensate folks um, pretty yeah. well. Um, or like you said, a different level, right? You're looking at SE2s or senior software engineers, or maybe you should be looking at the, the next step up. Uh, it's a Precisely. really interesting. It's, uh, it's, if you're not getting, you know, the, the, the golden ratio would probably be half offers, half rejections, and you'll never be able to, you know, get that exactly but that would help you uh, very accurately understand where is your current ceiling for in terms of where your career is and, and hopefully that improves every year but um if you don't have a good feel for what you're really worth yeah you're right you're gonna be shortchanging yourself on title career position comp stuff that really matters well, and it also helps you know what to work on, right? For if, if let's say in this job search, you're shooting for this level um, and, you know, you only get offers, you don't really know what the next level of interviews is going to look like, right? Won't see your level up. If you're doing kind of a little bit of both of those types of interviews, you see, oh, you know, my system design skills are pretty weak. I better work on that. So a year from now, when I go to interview, I, I actually do well in those, right? And I think that's what's been the most eye-opening for me in the past where I go, oh, clearly I have this huge gap because I didn't even know this was the thing they were going to ask about, right? Um, yeah. But I can... I can, I don't have to cram that stuff tomorrow. I can learn over the next, you know, 12, 16, 24 months, whatever it is to my next job search. So then I come in going, okay, I feel pretty comfortable with this, right? They might hit me with some new thing, but hopefully I've got a little bit of an ear to the market and I'm learning those things along the way, right? Yeah. Yeah. If you're a, a senior software engineer and you, you can figure out what is the gap between you and principal software engineer, that's incredibly valued, valuable. Most senior software engineers don't know what that is. Uh, and and to know what that is means that you could explicitly work towards it. I'm I'm glad you brought up cramming because I, I think that's such a good point. Of um, I think like like academic tests, you know, there's just you can't do yourself much good with cramming. Um, I I recommend folks instead of trying to memorize some algorithms before an interview, um, read about the company. Uh, mm. When be in a position for when. When the interviewers ask you, uh, why did you apply for Elastic? What interests you about Elastic? Um, hopefully you have a really good, interesting answer to that, uh, aside from something that just kind of feels, you know, fluff and made up on the spot. Yeah. Um, that goes a long way. And I, I think that's the most valuable type of, uh, if you're going to do any sort of cramming, that's the type of cramming you should be doing. Yeah. Well, and there's so much, like if you're trying to cram all data science or sorry, all data structures and algorithms, you know, the week before your interview, you, it's, I'd say learn about the company and focus on one thing, you know, you're really bad at that you might actually get asked, right? Sure. Like if you don't know recursion at all, do a little bit of recursion, right? But you're not going to learn binary trees, linked lists and, and everything else all in that week too, right? Um, yeah. yeah. Having something to actually share that you're interested about the company goes a huge way, right? Absolutely. Do you have any system you use um, to break down technical questions? Let's say you're in a spot where the company goes, hey, do X, and you don't have an immediate solution, right? Yeah. How do you work towards something? 
I'd say first off, um, and this is kind of the, the the inverse of what I was talking about earlier when I'm an interviewer, but as an interviewee, um, always make sure you understand the question. Don't don't have like a half understanding of the question and say, all right, I'm just going to close my eyes and barrel forward. Um, ask clarifying questions. If if this is an interview where you're going to be dinged or, or looked down upon for asking clarifying questions, you probably don't want to work uh, wherever that happens to be. Um, and asking clarifying questions, uh, aside from the, the direct benefit of understanding what you should be answering, it also gives you some time to start thinking through, all right, how, uh, let those gears start spinning in your head and think, how am I actually going to break this down? Um, uh, and I think what you described, the type of question where you don't have an immediate answer to, um, you could think about it in two ways. One, maybe that's the point of the question. Mm-hmm. And the interviewers, um, they just want to see how, how do you function in an environment where you don't have the answer? You're probably not going to come up with the answer in the next five minutes. Um, can you talk through what you would do next if you had you know, a week to solve this problem? Or... Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, we, this even comes up in coding interviews where most coding interviews are designed such that you cannot finish them in the time allotted, mm-hmm. which leaves this open-ended question at the end of what would you do next? How would you change your design? And, and to, to be able to talk about something where you're, you're not actually coming up with a solution, but you're talking about how you might come up with a solution. Mm-hmm. Um, I love that because it's, it's uh, uh, parallels real work um, so effectively. Um, if it is the type of question we're expected to have a real answer by the end of the question, uh, uh, just like real work, try, try to break it down into smaller problems to solve. Um, this is kind of a bad example because I hate this question, but the, the, the like riddle problem solving questions like, how many golf balls can you fit in a 747 uh, aircraft? Uh, don't ask those questions as an interview- interviewer. They suck. Uh, but um, nobody knows the answer to that off the top of their head. And the whole point is, can you problem solve uh, and, and you know, use estimations to come up with a number at the end that's plausible? But yeah. um, you know, that was the point of the exercise. Can, can, you, can you work under ambiguity? Yeah, that's a really great. I, I was just having a conversation yesterday with a, a recent bootcamp graduate who was, I was trying to frame this correctly. He, he was basically asking, like, interviewers regularly say they, they want to know how I think, right? Like, that's the point of the interviews. They want to know how I think. Um, and they want to see, like, how I'll be able to problem solve on the job. And then they give me an interview question or like a, you know, an elite code type question, right? And he's like, how do those two correlate? And I was like, they don't always, right? But often there's a point in the question where something is not super intuitive, right? Like you're working through this problem and it relies on some maybe non-intuitive piece of information that you kind of could reason towards if you're asking the right questions um, or if you've seen this problem before, right? And yeah. that's the piece, like like when you get to that and realize, oh, I don't know how to do this, right? Where you go from there is kind of the point of the interview, right? Do you freeze up and go, uh, and you don't do anything for the next 20 minutes, right? Which, and I'm not, I've done that in interviews, right? Where you just go, I don't really know how to do this, right? Um, yeah. Or do you say to the interviewer, oh, I, I haven't, you know, 
I haven't seen something like this before. I'm, I'm thinking this might work, but I don't really know how to do that. What do you think? Right? Are you having a conversation? Do you work towards Google? Right? Like, I think that is often the point of the interview is when you're stuck, what do you do next? Because that is being a software engineer, right? Like that's the part that actually kind of relates to your day-to-day job is often we get stuck and then have to go, okay, do I immediately go ask my lead or do I immediately Google something? Do I play with it for five minutes, 10 minutes, two hours, right? Like what is the right approach for this? And I think that's the piece that is, it hurts, right? Because it's like not fun to be in that spot, especially when someone else is staring at you, waiting for you to Mm. come up with some type of answer. But that's often the point of the interview, especially questions that are not FISBAs, right? Or something where immediately you go, oh, I I know, right? Um, So it's it's tough, but it's it's kind of fun sometimes too. And and you summed up the right approach. Uh, you you say, I don't know. Let's talk through this. That, mm-hmm. that that's um, that's real work. That's that's what I do every day. And to see somebody successfully do that on an interview is uh, revealing in really good ways. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think the last thing I'll say is, I also said some interviews you say like, I don't I don't know about this. What do you think? Right. And sometimes they'll go, oh, maybe we should Google this. Right. Like they'll point you in a direction. Um, I would say maybe 10, 15, 20% of interviews would go, I don't know, <laughs> you know, and you might just get stonewalled, but at least you, you, you've asked, right. You've done the things that yes. you go. And and like you said earlier, I don't want to work with that person. Cause maybe that's what it might be like if you slack them a question too. <laughs> exactly. I was just going to say, uh, uh, you hear it all the time. You're being interviewed, but you're interviewing this company as well. Mm-hmm. And if, if, if the, uh, you know, when you're struggling through a problem, if their response and maybe for bad, you know, maybe not for the greatest reasons, maybe their approach to interviewing is to stonewall you. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's just the strategy they've chosen. I don't agree with it. Um, but but if they're just making you feel that pain in that that silent, cold sweat, awful uh, scenario, that might be more signaling than you realize. Yeah. Well, it's easier for an interviewer, right? Like you said earlier you should be doing almost as much work, if not more than the candidate, right? In the interview to make it a good experience, but it's really easy to kind of disconnect and go, ah, I'll, I'll lock back in once they actually get close to the solution. Or if they're way off, I might go, Hey, I, I, that doesn't really make sense to me. Right. And then hope they fix themselves. Right. Um, it, it's easier, but it is not necessarily productive. Right. And I, I think that's yeah. the, sometimes people get tossed in interviews. They don't necessarily want to be in. Right. So I think that that's where that may come from. Or you yeah, know, we all have bad days. We're busy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I do think interviewing is one of the harder things I do in my day to day. I, I got to be on my toes. I might be a little wiped out uh, after mm-hmm. I interview somebody, and I, I sympathize with folks that want to just autopilot through an interview. But you're wasting everybody's time, and yeah. um, you know, at the end of the day, you got to think of it as I'm, I'm looking for a, a new team teammate to get to work with, and yeah. don't, don't short shortchange yourself on um, the ability to get something good out of that process. So that's a great point. Um, if your interviewer is watching is this is your potential team. I can't tell you how many people I've been interviewed by and went like, I don't really like, if I go work there, I don't necessarily want to work with that person, right? Like company sounds great, but that person, eh. and it might just have been because they weren't that locked in the interview versus, uh, you know, if they were engaged, I'm like, oh, I definitely want to be on that person's team. Right? And, and we're, we're like giving them the benefit of the doubt of saying it might, it might be that they just weren't locked in that interview, but, but this was their one time to show me what it's like to work with them. So I, I, I have to use the information they gave me. I, I, it'd be a mistake to, um, to give them the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Uh, do you have any other tips or advice you would um, share with folks who are maybe preparing for technical interviews or going into them shortly here? 
Yeah, I mean, one of it's a cop out of just do enough of them such that the, the rejections and failures are nothing more than an opportunity to learn something. Mm -hmm. um, it's okay to interview someplace that you're not interested in. In fact, if if you're in that that you know season of life where it's time for a change, it might not be a good idea to go interview at your top pick um, tomorrow. Maybe do some do some practice runs with some you know B or C level picks before you 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 um, really make an attempt with with your your top choices. I do think it's it's most successful to just be your authentic self uh, because that means if you get an offer, you can be highly confident it's going to work out if if you try and put on this front and and if you've tricked the interviewers into giving you an offer when they normally shouldn't have um well gosh you don't want to go somewhere where things aren't going to mm. work out that's that's inconvenient at the very least uh if if not painful in in many greater ways i think Finally, I'd say it's okay not to know the answer. It's okay to ask for clarifying questions. It's the, the whole point of a good interview is to find, uh, to discover the extent of your ability, of your knowledge, of, of um, you know, uh, find the extent of how you can, how you work. And so you're going to run into, I don't know, and it's okay not to know, um, provided you then take the the approaches we've, we've uh, spoken about recently about um, and talking through problems, even if mm -hmm. you just have no idea. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Do you have different advice or separate advice for like early career folks? Maybe this is their first or, or second job search. Yeah. So as an early career candidate, one thing you have to consider is the, the candidate pool is massive. Um, boot camps have become really popular. Uh, for every bootcamp graduate that applies for an entry-level position, um, they're, they're up against dozens, if not hundreds, of other candidates, um, which might not necessarily be the case for a senior software engineer position. So what I tell uh, early, early career folks is, um, well, I should say, here's what I don't want to see. What, what, what I don't want to see is the resume that says, I graduated from some bootcamp, here are the projects I've done, and Chances are I'm going to see other candidates who come from that boot camp or a boot camp like it. I'm going to, mm -hmm. If I see the exact same project listed, all I'm really reading is you did homework. Yeah, yeah. Um, so so do anything you can to show me that you're you're uniquely talented above your peers, whether that's a a side project that you've pursued on your own or or any real work that you've done. Highlight mm -hmm. that um, most. Bootcamp programs have that that capstone project at the end that was hard and it was a lot of work and it was pretty impressive that you managed to finish it. But every candidate did that and it mm. it doesn't really help you stand out in any way. And so, um, you know, I, I love to see uh, uh, early career folks um, show on their resume or, or describe to me in person a time when they were fixing something in production, even if production was just their side project website uh, a, a time where there was some weird database migration error mm. and it, they don't they're not entirely sure what they did to fix it but they fixed it like i do that every day you know that that's um that tells me so much about the candidate more than did they follow some academic curriculum mm. yeah that makes a lot of sense and and i said this before and, and i'll probably say it again but it, it doesn't take all that much to stay like if you see the you know if the copy and paste 
boot camp graduate resume is um, you know a couple previous jobs, the boot camp at the top, and then whatever project or, or big project they did as their capstone. It doesn't take much more to stand out from that, right? If you also have, oh, here's this other thing. I mean, for me, it was here's a podcast I have on the side, and I think just that was a conversation starter, right? Yeah. For a lot of companies, regardless of it meant anything about my software engineering skills, it it was yeah. a conversation thing that people could could bring up, right? It's, it doesn't have to be something massive, but something that is at least puts you 10% above the rest of the people when you're flipping through 40 resumes, you go, Oh, this is interesting. Let me at least have a conversation with them. Right. And like, once you get the foot in the door, then it's on you to prove that, you know, you pass the technical and some of these other interviews, but I think that's what you're fighting against a lot of times is just to get the phone call, right. That first call mm -hmm. um, and, and it doesn't take a lot to be kind of eh, just a little bit above the rest yeah. of the people to, to get that conversation. Yeah. Demonstrate evidence that you solved some problem nobody asked you to solve, that, that yeah. you, you were just interested in some technical project. And even if it's not impressive at all, it doesn't actually solve a, a real world commercial problem that anybody cares about. You had to write some code and maybe you interacted with a data store. And it was really hard and you ran into these problems and this is how you solved them. That, that puts you uh, so far ahead of somebody who just solved the problems they were asked to solve as part of a, a curriculum. Mm. Absolutely. Well, before we move into our break, and uh, do you have any um, interviewing horror stories you're willing to share that maybe folks can relate to to say, oh, if Ross went through this and you're a successful engineering manager at a great company that, uh, you know, they can be too someday, if, <laughs> even if all things go, go wrong. You know, I was, I was thinking about this the other day. Um, and one memory that came to mind, you know, I, I talked about how Going to school where I went to school gave me access to a lot of um, school internships during the, the academic year. And I remember going on an interview where I had listed some technology on my resume um, that had caught the attention of this hiring manager. And so we sat down in person at their office and they, they said, all right, I'm going to go down a list of technologies. Stop me when I come across a technology that you have experience in. Mm. And about 10 technologies into that list. And I still hadn't said like, oh, I know that one. I, you know, I started to get that cold sweat. And finally we got to 20, tech, 20 uh, technologies down that list. I still hadn't said anything. And the interviewer said, well, was any of that familiar to you? And I said, eh, kind of this one thing, but not really. And, and that was it. <laughs> I, I, I'd blown it, you know? And, and uh, the interviewer, I think in being kind, uh, said, all right, well, you know, why don't you come back next year? I, I, I don't think there's a, a fit here. I mean, I had essentially had the interview where I'd said, I don't know the answer. And that was uh -huh. my only response to any question I was given. And then I was walked out the door. You know, it, it, we, we all do that um, yeah. until we understand uh, those moments where we should have at least asked a question or attempted to, to, to um, problem solve on the spot. Um, I, I think maybe more applicable to the pain that folks uh, might be going through today is um, I've absolutely been in that, that coding exercise where um, I've been confronted with a, an arbitrary problem mm -hmm. in a language that I like, I'm kind of familiar with, but not enough to be slick in. And man, I just stared at the exact same problem for about 20 minutes, trying different stuff that was going nowhere. The interviewers were just like staring me dead in the eyes, mm -hmm. uh, giving me nothing in return. And I think that was how they were coached to behave, yeah. um, which, you know, I, I've already spoken about how I, how I view that behavior. Um, 
and it sucked. And I, 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 you know, I'd flown to this city to interview with this company, and I, it, it's just that awful feeling of you like walk back to your hotel and you're like, well, I didn't get that job, and now I got to hang out in this dumb city I don't want to be in for the rest of the night to like fly <laughs> home on this stupid plane I don't want to be on tomorrow. And it, it's um, if you don't have those moments you're not aiming high enough. You, you got to mm. seek out those rejections uh, to get, to get the, the offer that like is really too good to be true and, and uh, uh, not too good to be true, but is, is worth taking. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if I've told this story before. It's, I, I flew to Waco, Texas on time to interview with SpaceX, which has a, an office yeah, yeah, near yeah. there. Um, and I, I somehow got through the, the phone interview. Right. And, and I, I honestly think there was some mistake where like, the person who was managing the role went on maternity leave like right after my phone interview. So I followed up and they said, oh, we'll just bring you on site. And I said, okay, sure. I've never been to Waco before. Like I'll fly in. They got me a rental car. I was like, I'll take, make a weekend of it. Right. Um, and I flew down there and did the first, like I got there for the onsite. I did the first interview. It was like 30 minutes, did not go well at all. And then they said, oh, um, I'm going to go see if this manager is available um, and came back after like five minutes and said, uh, they can't meet with you. We're all good here. Like you can go. And I was like, I literally flew all the way here to have like a 20 minute conversation. But, you know, they paid for my pizza hut that night and I got to see the beautiful city of town of Waco, Texas. And yeah, yeah. interesting story. Right. Um, but not a ton of fun, but but uh, a learning experience, right? I'll probably ask what they're going to cover in the interview next time before I fly halfway across the country. Exactly. That's actually a really good point. You should always ask your recruiters what the interview is going to be like. There's there's no reason for the recruiter uh, that you're working with not to tell you um, because they they want you in your authentic way to do well. And um, that's a really good point. Um, And and yeah, you got to take those opportunities even if you crash and burn. Um, no, nobody you get to work with in your career who you might look up to has, has, uh, managed to avoid those, um, those, those disasters. I think I had maybe one person on the podcast that I asked that question to, and they said, I have a, I have had a 100% offer rate. And I said, wow. But then I realized, oh, they'd only really had like, they'd been at companies for a really long time. They basically had like three interviews in their career and they said it used to those companies like 10 years. And I was like, well, I guess this is one way to do it, right? <laughs> you probably yeah. did do really yeah, well in yeah, all those yeah. interviews. Um, so yeah. yeah, different different paths. Uh, well, we'll take a quick break here and then we'll, when we come back, we'll move into the technical. Thank you for watching the first half of the Professional Technical Interviewee. The technical interview will be released one week from this episode. So be sure to subscribe to make sure you don't miss it. New episodes are released on the first four Thursdays of each month. Find us on YouTube at youtube.com slash Dorset or on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss out on new episodes. And remember, keep practicing.